Cause sometimes I be right Hello Welcome To the show I'm feeling good Feeling frustrated though I'll be honest with you We are uh, back in Trash Can Studios uh, Re-recording this episode (laughs) Cause uh, earlier I recorded a whole episode Signed off Went to uh save the audio file and uh computer crashed i guess that's what i get for using a laptop i got in 2010 that currently uh has no battery i have to keep it plugged in in order to work it (laughs) and i have i have a new laptop like an updated new laptop i just got last year Uh, i use it for everything else all post-production needs everything i use it for but to record the audio I can't, I can't not record on this laptop, but it burned me again today. This has happened before. You've heard me come on and say, I got to re-record this, but look, I'm a professional. I will not give you less quality than what I gave you earlier that you didn't even hear. (laughs) I will deliver the goods. So welcome back, Cyber Family. If this is your first time joining us, thank you. Welcome. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I'm your host, John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what up, Wally. So as I said, man, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling uh, pretty great. Um, It's a little later in the day. Uh, One of my topics, actually, that I was going to talk about um, actually got a little interesting update. So now I can actually... Instead of looking like, oh, yeah, you're wrong about that, um, it actually appears that there might be a little wrinkle thrown in there, and I got an opinion on it. So that little topic gets a little more interesting. But let's not belabor the point. Let's get right into it. Quick hits. Quick hits. Quick hits. So this weekend in the NFL uh, was, was excellent. This weekend in college football was excellent. We got some good games. So... One of those games um, actually didn't even happen on the weekend. (laughs) Happened on Monday night, and that's with the Bills and the Titans. Now, as I've said, and I'm not the only one, I don't take credit. I don't think I'm a genius for saying this. The Bills were going to come into this year, and it's Super Bowl or bust for them. And they are coming in with a certain fire and an energy and a grit and a determination that they are trying to destroy everyone. So, of course, they destroyed the Titans. But... What I took away from that game is Josh Allen is a perfect example of what you get when you draft guys based on talent and not based on production in college. See, when I was doing the cyber rankings for the quarterbacks this year and I was uh, unveiling it, I had made a point to say in the episode and even uh, on my posts online um, promoting it, I said you have to separate the player's ability from the success because the success has a lot to do with the team and things like that what's around them not everyone's in a perfect situation not everyone's at a powerhouse so as much as i love cj stroud i would caution you not to assume he's going to be good in the nfl just because he's going to put up big numbers because he's literally at a powerhouse at ohio state like it's 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 too easy you know what i'm saying um Josh Allen in that draft was a guy coming out who had a really low completion percentage in college. I think he was like mid, maybe high 50s. I want to say he was like 56, 58 percent completion. And it was a question mark about his accuracy. But he was playing at Wyoming. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't a big recruit coming out of high school um, and coming out of Wyoming. He had a big arm. Everyone knew, man, this guy's big. He's, He's slightly athletic, more athletic than you think. And he's got a big arm. 
but the production isn't there and he got knocked for it a little bit um but the talent was obvious if you just watch the guy throw if you watch his motion his fluidity the arm talent all there all he needed to do was say hey if we put this guy in a good situation, what do we think is going to happen? And what's going to happen is exactly what's happening now. The guy's going to flourish. The guy's going to be productive because the talent is undeniable. Talent-wise, you could put Josh Allen against anybody in the NFL, and he's right there neck and neck as far as talent goes. On the flip side of the coin, you have a guy like Baker Mayfield, who was drafted number one. Now, Baker Mayfield was not drafted based on talent because nobody thinks that Baker Mayfield was the most talented quarterback in that draft. Maybe not even top five most talented quarterbacks. No one thought that he was this elite, unbelievable quarterback, but the production in college was there. They thought he was a tough guy, a gritty guy. The, guy, the teammates follow him and he put up stat. Look at his numbers. He's at Oklahoma. Oklahoma consistently pushes out really good quarterbacks that put up crazy gaudy numbers. I mean, Jalen Hurts was a bum and got benched in Alabama. A guy who couldn't throw went to went to Oklahoma and was up for the Heisman. So that's what they do there. And you're going to see Lincoln Riley's now going to bring that to USC. And those quarterbacks, I promise you, year after year will put up bonkers numbers. And that's just what they do. So we got to get out of this old school mentality as fans of looking at a guy in college and seeing the numbers he puts up and saying he's going to be really, be really good in the pros. It's not it's not all about the numbers because some guys aren't at a powerhouse. The next thing that came out uh, this weekend that I saw that I loved, uh, I loved it so much. And I promise you, I'm not a hater, but I love when I think something. And then I say something, and then shortly after that, it comes to be in reality, and you get a perfect real-life example of it. And I feel like that happened because I talked a lot about Lamar Jackson, and uh, and not necessarily just him, but the whole conversation about pay him, pay the money he's earned, give him whatever he wants, blank check, all that nonsense about you know Lamar Jackson up for a contract, and he needs to get paid. Well, there was a point in that game against Miami where they were up 35 to 14 and the conversation from the commentators, from everyone on Twitter was the price is up. The price is way up because, look, Lamar Jackson had an unbelievable game. He played great. 300 plus yards, 21 of 29 completions, a couple touchdowns, 100 yards rushing like he couldn't do no more than that. But they lost. Uh, Miami came back and ended up winning 42 to 38. And my question afterwards was, well, if the price was up when they were winning, what's the price now that they lost? Is the price down? And I had a, uh, a supporter on Twitter um, message me back saying, no, the price is still up. You can't put this one on Lamar Jackson. It's not his fault. And when I read that, I thought, bingo, that's exactly what I was saying last week when I was like, as a GM, I would tell him, look, I can give you the money you want and surround you with bad players, or you could take a little less and we can make sure the team around you is really good because what's going to happen. And I said, what is a, what is a quarterback worth if the team can't win? If the team's no good, then what difference does it make how good that quarterback is? The rest of the team is garbage. They are garbage. Now, I'm not saying Baltimore is garbage. And look, I'm not saying that Baltimore is bad. They had a bad game. It, it, it fell apart. It happens from time to time. You know, hey, what are you going to do? I don't think that that's indicative of what it's going to be like the rest of the year. But what I thought was, was a real time, real life example of what I was talking about. Hey, Lamar. Hey, Baltimore fans. If Lamar Jackson gets paid what he wants to get paid, guess what? You're going to have a lot more days like that where Lamar Jackson is doing everything he can to win, but the team is just not good enough. 
And that's what happens. That's what happens with all of these teams. Is you have these guys, these quarterbacks who play well, and then they want to get the money, and then you got to pay them a bulk of the salary cap. Look at Green Bay. Green Bay is a perfect example of that. What Aaron Rodgers has around him is far less than he's ever had. Why? Because Aaron Rodgers is making far more than he ever has. So because he's taking up that much of the salary cap, that's less to go around. You're not going to get a bunch of players to take less to go to Green Bay. It's not going to happen. If I can go to L.A., <laughs> make $5 million less than I want, that's far better than going to Green Bay to take $10 million less than I want. Right. Like, that's what I'm saying. These these are real people. These guys have choices to make. It's going to be hard for you to build a good enough team around Lamar Jackson if you give him that much money. Now, look, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. But again, what is it worth? Is Lamar Jackson worth 50 million dollars a year playing for the Jaguars. I don't think so. If I'm losing games anyway, why am I paying you 50 million dollars to lose games? That's a waste of both of our time. Now, again, I'm not saying Baltimore is Jacksonville, but I'm saying they can quickly become a bad team if he eats up too much salary cap and they don't have the money to get the other guys. I just thought that was interesting. So it's come out uh, that Floyd Mayweather is supposed to be fighting Deji uh, in an exhibition fight in Dubai. Now, if you're looking at me saying, who the hell is Deji? I don't blame you. Uh, I'm not really familiar with Deji myself, but I know he is an influencer boxer. So the influencer boxer league and all that stuff is happening. And I told you a couple weeks ago, I came in and I said there was a fight um, card that week and it was awesome. It was super entertaining. It was fun to watch. It was a bunch of guys who are not really good boxers, but they're all around the same skill level. And it was just fun. It wasn't guys doing that. None of them were calling out professional boxers afterwards. None of them were calling out Canelo. They were all calling out each other. And it seemed like that's a group of guys who knows exactly where they are, who are doing something fun and competitive and, and, and a sport. And they've kind of created their own little thing. It's kind of like E-Games. E-League? E ah, damn it. <laughs> I probably just made a lot of people mad. Look, whatever those gaming leagues are. I don't know nothing about it, but I know that those guys aren't saying we're athletes the same as NFL players. Like they understand, like this is their this is their little place that they've carved out. This is their league. This is where they do. This is this is what it is. And that's what that is. So Deji is one of those guys. He got his first win. So right now, if you're on the internet, if you're following in that world, um, they're doing pretty successful in their events. And so it's pretty popular. Uh, in that world in that realm and so Mayweather decided this is the biggest story coming out of that night so I'm gonna fight this guy now no Deji has no chance of beating Mayweather and it's not a situation like the Logan Paul where Logan Paul's 200 pounds and just way too big and blah 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 whatever no this guy is about this is a little taller um but they could fight around the same way he's a smaller guy he's gonna get destroyed my point is Mayweather this is embarrassing at this point it's embarrassing why are you why are you doing that fight that would be that would be like canelo saying hey in an exhibition uh i'm gonna fight i don't know Le'Veon bell it will be like what what do you do that is so far away from where you are and it's worse for mayweather because yo you're retired now you're just taking exhibitions to fight whoever just for a paycheck do you need the money because you don't, there's no way you need the money. You've made millions of, you talk all the time about your investments and how you, you your money makes money. Like, there's no way you need the money. If you're addicted to making money, there's no way you're not making money in other places. So what are you doing? 
Then right after you read that the next day, uh, I saw that um, Mayweather was in talks with um, Conor McGregor to fight a rematch. Why? Number one, did, like, <laughs> the fight wasn't competitive the first time. Anyone who knows boxing and watched the fight and has, is familiar with Mayweather understands that Mayweather never fights that way. Mayweather had his hands up, walking straight in towards Connor, wearing him down, and then threw his power shots, and, and the fight was over. It was, it was it was not even close. Never competitive. Never once was it in doubt. It was nothing. Now, Connor McGregor didn't look as awful as you would think, but when you're, you know, when you don't have Mayweather, you know, slipping punches and stuff, he's just kind of standing right there. It's going to make you look a little better, but whatever. I digress. The point is, who wants to see a rematch? What's the point of a rematch? Now, McGregor, to his credit, or I guess, I don't know, has come out and said, uh, has responded and said, not interested. Honestly, I don't buy that for a second because the reports were saying that it was um, it could be an exhibition, but that there were conversations and talks about making it an actual boxing match, which means it would go against Floyd's record, which I guess you can kind of get people to be interested because he could get a loss on his record and his perfect record is ruined. But at the end of it, like, honestly, do you, does anyone really think that that's going to be interesting? Like, what is that? Here's my problem. Here's why I say it's embarrassing. Because Mayweather, you retired at 50 and 0. You were considered one of the greatest defensive boxers of all time. You call yourself the best ever. And you have a case. It can be argued Floyd Mayweather is the best pound for pound fighter of all time. Now, there is going to be a whole generation of people that only remember you as being the guy who couldn't even knock out Logan Paul. Now, that's stupid to boxing fans because we understand, bro, Mayweather's never been a knockout artist. And Logan Paul was outweighing him by like 60 pounds and was like a foot taller. <laughs> like it was never he was never going to knock out Logan Paul. Right. But there's a whole group of people that that's what they see Floyd Mayweather as that walked away from that saying, oh, Floyd Mayweather's overrated. He's not that good. He almost lost to Logan Paul. And there's a whole generation of people who don't recognize you or were not there in your peak to see you do the amazing things you did and now you just keep adding to that post boxing resume which is just making you look like a sideshow character it's embarrassing let it be man just let it be continue promoting you're doing good stuff over there with your promotion with mayweather promotions with the gym stay on that side get out of this exhibition business it's not good for you it's not a good look it's embarrassing it's a waste of everybody's time <sighs> that's it for quick hits so getting into listen i'm gonna just give you a warning i'm gonna spend a considerable amount of time talking about the canelo triple g uh trilogy fight that happened it was um <clears throat> i would say i would say probably not as good as everyone was hoping myself included um the fight kind of went the way i thought it would i thought canelo would win i thought it would be by decision um, and I thought that it would kind of be not, it would not be controversial in the way of like, you wouldn't think that you, you would know, you would say, yeah, Canelo won that fight. It's pretty obvious, but we'll get into it. But before we, I get into that, so I'm just giving you guys a heads up. If boxing is really not your thing, if Canelo is really not your thing, like this might be one of those episodes where a big chunk of it is dedicated to that because I got a lot of opinions on that. There's been some fallout from that, which I find interesting and annoying and frustrating. So I kind of want to get into it. But I want to start with this. Coming into the year, um, one of the big storylines was Russell Wilson going to Denver. 
And how good could Denver be now that they have Russell Wilson? And so far through two games, they they are struggling a bit. Um, offensively, they're struggling. Russell Wilson doesn't look the same. The team is, is not performing the way everyone anticipated. And now the talk is shifting to, were, are the Broncos as good as we thought? Are they in trouble? Is, is Russell Wilson falling off? I, I love that they're struggling, not because I'm a hater, but because I hate the idea that we, and I'm going to say we, because every one of us, yourself included, has done this at some point. We just assume certain things in sports. One of the things we assume is if you take a really good quarterback and you put them on a good team, they're going to be great. That's not always the case. We always assume, hey, if you take this great player and put them on that team, that team's going to be great. And it's like, that's not always the case. Fit is a real thing. I think at the end of the day, we're dealing with human beings and personalities, and you never know. I mean, we all assume that Baker Mayfield would make a huge difference in Carolina, and guess what? As of now, two games in, he doesn't look any better than he ever has, and that team doesn't look like they're any better than they would be without him. So it's you, we can't just assume these things that, oh, Russell Wilson's going to be fine, going to be fine. No, look, he's going from Seattle to Denver. That's a lifestyle change. That's a, that's a life change. We don't know how his wife is dealing with that. We don't know what's going on with the kids. Uh, we don't know if he gets along with the receivers. Do the receivers like him? Is he quirky? They haven't been around each other enough. They haven't played in games enough to really know each other. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of factors that go into it, and and we all fell right into it and just assumed that they were going to be really good. And what you're seeing now is there's no guarantees, man. It takes time. But another thing that really was interesting to me, and uh, I heard someone say it on TV. I, I want to say it was Greg Jennings. I think it was Greg Jennings who said it. If not, I apologize if you get any heat for that. Um, but... What he had said was maybe Seattle won this trade because maybe they saw some of that drop off in Russell Wilson and that's why they moved off him. And at first you would think, oh, that's ridiculous, but get out of here. But when you think about one thing that always I always remember is Bill Belichick always was considered a guy who would trade someone one year early rather than one year late. Right. So he would move off of a guy and they would have a great season. And after that, they fall off a cliff and he looks stupid for that one year. But then after that, you're like, oh, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. I I feel like that's what's happening potentially with Seattle, where maybe, maybe they kind of noticed something happening with Russell Wilson that said, you know what? His stock is really high right now. We should probably move off this and kind of just start over. And if we get enough back, then yeah, this year might be tough. But worst case scenario, like I've always said, you get top three pick. You could then go get your quarterback of the future, or you could trade that top three pick and get even more in return. So maybe that's what they did. Maybe Russell Wilson just, maybe they felt like he lost a little bit of his edge. You know, life happens, man. Not everybody is Tom Brady and is just obsessed with every little detail of football, every little precise route. Some guys aren't like that. And maybe Russell Wilson is one of those guys who still loves it, still committed to it, 
But maybe they just notice, like, hey, man, we notice he's not really, like, uh, he's not taking it as hard as he used to. He's not as mad after. He seems a little more content with where he is in life. I don't know. Look, that's speculation, of course. And I'm not saying that that's the case. But I'm saying maybe Seattle did see something that made them comfortable and made them say, yeah, let's let's go ahead and do that. But Denver now was saddled with him because they gave him the extension. And now their fans, after only two games, and the media, after only two games, are questioning whether or not Russell, like, is there a problem? How disappointing are they? And I would just say it's a long season. There's plenty of time left. But maybe... The roster was overrated. Maybe the roster, everyone assumed, like, oh, man, that's a good roster. That's a good team. I will say this. Fit matters. And a defense, if they feel like they can't give up a point, is going to play with a different level of intensity if you know that you have to play the way in order to even have a chance. And we saw this when you had uh, Tim Tebow was in Denver and you had Kyle Orton playing quarterback and the defense didn't look that great, right? They weren't playing that well. Put Tim Tebow in and the defense all of a sudden turned into 85 Bears. Now, what happened? Well, what happened was when you had Kyle Orton, you knew you could score some points. You knew you weren't completely out of it. You didn't have to be perfect, when you put Tim Tebow back there, you had to play lights out. You had to keep that game very close to give yourself a chance at the end. And because you know that, you naturally are going to play to that. And I think that might have happened with Denver. Last year, they didn't have any quarterbacks. So you had to kind of play a certain way to keep the game close because you knew that's our only chance we have. But now you got Russell Wilson. You probably feel a little more relaxed. You give up a play. You're like, oh, yeah, whatever. We good. And so, you know, so maybe they're not as good as we thought them to be. Maybe, you know, the receivers aren't as good as we thought them to be. Maybe or or maybe it is just as as simple as saying two games in, they're still learning each other. They're still trying to figure this thing out and they'll get to it. They also have a new coaching staff, which, in my opinion, when you're dealing with a veteran quarterback like Russell Wilson, that's not really a problem. But maybe all of those factors are just saying, hey, it's too early. Give us some time. We'll figure this out. But I do find it funny that the conversation was them being potential Super Bowl candidates to now being, well, as long as they win one while he's there, then they won the trade. (laughs) It's like people are trying to back off that in a real sneaky way. So before I get into the Cowboys, because I do want to talk about the Cowboys, because I feel like I figured something out with the Cowboys, I do want to address the Canelo Triple G fight. And not so much the fight itself, but the fallout. So the number one thing I will say is is Triple G looked old. He looked slow. He looked um, gun shy. He looked like he was afraid to throw punches. He looked like he didn't want to get caught with anything. He looked a little heavy, a little pudgy. Looked like maybe he didn't carry the weight as well as he maybe, I don't know, just seemed, he just seemed off. He didn't seem threatening or menacing at any point during the fight. Started off very slow. I personally had it scored 11 to 1 for Canelo. I could understand if you gave Triple G two rounds. I didn't, I can't see more than two rounds. I, I think most of the rounds, he was not the aggressor. He was not out throwing, like he just wasn't doing anything of impact. That's me. I was scoring the fight live on, on Twitter. But 
Canelo is getting a little bit of pushback for that. And some people are saying, see, I told you, Triple G is too old. And one of the criticisms would be that Canelo waited him out, made him wait a little longer to get the fight because he wanted to make sure he was too old so he wasn't a threat anymore. I would agree with you. Except, in between the two fights, Canelo moved up to 168, beat all of the champions at 168 to become the the unified champion, first ever at super middleweight, and then moved up to 175 to fight for a title there. So, in between time, he literally (laughs) took on really difficult fights. Like, he only went after champions or high-level guys who have something to offer. That's what he did in the time in between those fights. It wasn't as if he was out there fighting tuna cans. He wasn't out there fighting nobodies. He wasn't out there fighting guys that had no business being in the ring with him. Now, of course, people will be critical afterwards. People will say that Callum Smith didn't deserve to be in the ring. He was a paper champion. He was no good. He was overrated. Okay, whatever. Undefeated champion. Who else is he supposed to fight? He's supposed to fight the champion, right? I want a belt at 168. Who am I supposed to fight? The guy who's got the belt. It's not his fault. He can't pick who's the champion at the time he's there. So whatever. Lucky break. Whatever. Who's the next champion? Well, Billy Joe Saunders. Tricky fighter. A good fighter. A guy that would beat, would be favored in most fights against most 168-pound guys. It's not going to be many guys you would think are beating Billy Joe Saunders. Let's be honest. But again, he beats him breaks his face and the and the conversation is well Billy Joe Saunders is not as good as his record says he, he never fought anybody and again I would say fine if you want to use that to sure lucky break for Canelo but who else is he supposed to fight I want the belt he's got the belt I gotta beat him to take the belt so okay whatever so then he goes up against Caleb Plant and everyone says Caleb Plant has no power he's too young he's too raw he's not good enough blah 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 this and that whatever he wins, knocks him out, and the conversation again is, well, you know, Caleb Plant, like, who is he? He's a good fighter, but, like, he can't really compete with Canelo. And it's like, yeah, but again, I want the belt. If he's got the belt, I got to fight him. He's not fighting the 18th ranked super middleweight. He's fighting the champions at that division and wiped them out. And then moved up to 175 to fight the champion at 175. I don't think he was waiting out triple. I don't think he wanted to fight Triple G. I think he was done with that. I think he feels like he won the first fight. Right? And then he did win the second fight. So he, in his mind, he's like, all right, whatever. I don't need to fight you again. The only reason why this fight happened, I believe, is because he wanted to fight Bivol at 175. I think he felt like Bivol presented the best matchup for him out of the guys at 175. I don't want to say the safest fight, but I think maybe like stylistically, he must have seen something and felt there was something he could do there that gives him the best chance, right? Moving up to that weight, you don't want to fight the killer. You don't want to fight better BF. Like, no way. Not that guy. (laughs) Not my first time at 175. I'm not fighting the most dangerous guy in that weight class. No, no, no. Give me the lesser of two evils, right? But I think in order to get the B-Vol fight, I think part of the contract was, well, you have to give us the third Canelo. I mean, the third Triple G fight. 
I think that's the only reason why the fight happened. I don't think he ever would have faced him if he didn't have to. But that was the only way he could get what he really wanted, which is ultimately that 175 title. So as a compromise, he took that fight on. I think the whole conversation about the beef and the personal history, I think that was manufactured from Canelo and his team for two reasons. To promote the fight. And number two, to kind of give himself some added motivation coming into this fight. To get himself kind of psyched up for it. Because I don't think he wanted it at all. I think after the fight, he was super complimentary. He was super respectful. Um, he seemed like, thank God this is over. I'm done with this chapter. I never need to go back to this. So it didn't sound like a guy who was like, yeah, I just won. Like, this was important to me. It sounded like a guy who was like, hey, respect to you, whatever. And he's moving on. Another thing that stuck out to me in that fight was I personally don't like all the theatrics that go into the Canelo stuff. I don't like the the walk-in to the weigh-in. I don't like that there's always like a band or a performer with them and it's like a a big spectacle. I I, I don't I cringe at the, the the personalized pajamas he wears from Dolce and Gabbana, all the fancy stuff. I cringe at the ring walk when they got the band playing and they got all the music. Last fight he got lifted up on a platform. That was super awkward. And it's like a fifteen minute thing and it's like there's a whole big production. I think it's cringy. I think it's too much. I think just keep it simple, right? That's me. But I also understand that it is a show. They're trying to give you a show. He's the golden boy. They're trying to pump him up, give the fans what they want. I get it. But the one thing that's amazing to me that I always like just say to myself, like, wow, how is that even possible? Is he never seems to be affected by it. He, he comes out to fight and his focus seems to be right there. His prepara- preparation seems to be right there. He always seems to be on it. Like it never seems like he got distracted at all. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. He came out in this fight and looked incredibly sharp right out the gate. He looked like he was on point. Um, and never in that fight was there a doubt who was winning the fight. And I think that he deserves a lot more credit for what he did in that fight than he would get because the conversation is going to be how bad Triple G looked. I think Canelo has something to do with that because every time he would throw something, the return was so quick and so and such a, a, a heavy punch that it does make you a little more hesitant. And I only say that because we've seen so many recent fights up until Bivol. Every opponent that Canelo has faced at some point goes through a stretch where they're just hesitant to throw punches. And everyone's like, oh, look, he's not throwing punches. And it's like, yeah, because he's he's worried about that counter coming back because he knows if he commits and he misses, there's a heavy shot coming back. And I think I think Triple G fell right into that. I think that 168 Canelo has a real good home at that weight. I think he can I I think he doesn't have to cut too crazy to get there and I think he doesn't have to rehydrate up and balloon up just to get back to normal. I think he's right around where he likes to be. I think that's a great spot for him. Now going forward, he does want the Bivol rematch. Now I don't know if it's going to make a difference. I think he just ran into a guy who was bigger and stronger and is always going to present a problem for him. Because not only is he bigger and stronger, but he's super disciplined. And he and Canelo could not get him away from what he wanted to do. 
what Bivol wanted to do, the way he wanted to approach it, all of that, he w- he stuck to that. He didn't overcommit. He didn't let Canelo get in the distance he likes. He did exactly what he wanted to do when he wasn't bothered or affected by Canelo. I think that's 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 impressive because the moment wasn't too big for him. He wasn't worried about the judges. He just went out there and he fought and whatever is is. I don't know what Canelo could do different to in that fight to win but there must be something i mean we've all been there right like as a as a competitor as a person when you fail at something the moment you fail you immediately start thinking what could you have done different and you realize ah he probably rewatched that fight and saw and saw so many holes in his own game and things that he should have done the places he should have done this when he did that so there must be something that he sees that makes him say i really i want that fight i gotta have that fight but then there's also conversation where everyone now is chiming in about who should Canelo fight next. I know that uh, Abel Sanchez said that, you know, better, uh, not better be that Benavidez is the guy that can beat Canelo. That he'll beat Canelo. That's the guy Canelo should fight. And everyone's saying, oh, fight, uh, fight, you know, fight Benavidez at 168. He's, he's the guy. That's the real challenge. My problem with that is that's fine. But if Canelo fights this guy, beats this guy, then there's going to be the next guy who's the challenge. Like, there's always going to be another guy. There's always going to be a younger, bigger fighter that you say, this is the real challenge. It's always going to be that way. So can we stop crucifying the guy for not fighting who you think is the biggest test? Listen, Canelo, after the fight, had said, look at his resume. He's done nothing. I think at this point, Canelo made, what, 45, 50 million guaranteed for the fight against Triple G, the trilogy. I think at this point, Canelo is not fighting for money. I think Canelo understands I only can fight for X amount of time. For the rest of my time here now that I have all the money I can need, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get big money regardless of who I fight. I don't have to fight anybody anymore. I can fight nobodies. I can fight bums and get $50 million guaranteed. So I think what he's trying to do is fight either people that present a big personal challenge or people that present something that he can get that would add to his legacy i personally think ultimately he wants a fight with Usyk at heavyweight i think that's the ultimate goal i think he feels like i can beat bivol right so beat bivol at 175 get that title move up to cruiserweight and get a title there and then fight someone like Usyk because Usyk is is big um much bigger but also not like I think he's, what, 6'3"? So that's not like a Tyson Fury 6'9". Could you imagine Canelo trying to fight Tyson Fury? <laughs> I feel like he would. I feel like Canelo would take that fight because he's just... I think he just he just wants the challenges, but that would just look ridiculous. But someone like, you know, Usyk, I don't think he beats Usyk in any, any way. I don't think there's any way he beats Usyk. But I think that that's a challenge that he would take see that route to me is like okay go up to 175 and get that belt from a legitimate guy who just beat you and then move up to cruiserweight and get a belt there like you're moving up to cruiserweight now that's impressive and then to go heavyweight is like oh okay you're just you're 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 fighting for something that's way greater than you know the guys on twitter thinking benavidez might beat you and you might be scared it's like if you if you're one of those people that says that canelo's scared of fighting someone then you're just a moron at this point Canelo's not scared to fight anybody. Canelo has lost before. Canelo just lost two fights ago. Okay? And convincingly lost. It wasn't like it was close. 
And he came back and then did what he did against Triple G. He's not afraid to lose. He's not afraid to fight anybody. He's not afraid of challenges. It's just that Benavidez doesn't offer him anything. Benavidez doesn't have a belt that he wants to get. He doesn't have a belt that he doesn't have. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, there's no reason to fight him if there's a better fight out there. I think what Canelo's saying is, look, I'm not out of options. I got options. I'll fight whoever I want. But I could move up and fight Bivol or better Biev. I'd fight like one of those guys who's like a real, a massive step up. Or I could step down to meet this guy at his level and just to shut everybody up to say that I fought him and I beat him. I think Canelo beats better. Uh, I think Canelo beats Benavidez. I do. I just think he's a better boxer. I think he's more experienced. I think he's smarter. I think he's craftier. I think he hits harder than Benavidez realizes. I think he's slicker than Benavidez. So I think that Benavidez is going to be right there to get hit. Of course, he's going to throw a lot of punches, but I think Canelo has an iron jaw. I think the way he rolls with shots, the way he blocks shots, the way he moves, the way he just, you know, how good of a defensive fighter he is. I just think that it would only be a matter of time before he would time and counter Benavidez with something that would end that fight. That's my opinion. But again, like, I just hate the idea that it's like, oh, we'll fight this guy. This is the guy. And then when that guy loses, it's like, okay, well, this is the guy. This guy over here actually is the real guy. And it's like, this is going to go on forever. And you know what? Maybe it's what I get because I did the same thing with Floyd Mayweather. But I was a kid then. Come on, I'm an adult now. Okay, I'm seeing adults. I'm seeing Paulie Malinaji say that, oh, he should fight this guy. This is the real guy. It's the real test. Like, come on, Paulie. If he beats that guy, what are you? What, what then? Well, he's beat everyone that's a threat. Like, no, there's going to be the next guy. So let's just say, hey, look, I would love to see that fight because I think it would be an entertaining fight and not say things like, oh, I think this is the guy that would beat him and he's running from this or running from that. He's not running. Ooh, getting hot in the studio today. <laughs> so anyone who knows me, or if you know me, you've been listening to the show. If you've been here since day one, you know that I'm a fixer. You know that I'm a guy who sees a problem, analyzes the problem, and tries to give you a solution to fix the problem. I don't like just stating that there's an issue. I like solving it. I like giving you a real solution. So with that being said, Watching the Cowboys game this weekend, my first thought was Cooper Rush is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott. Whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down. I know many of you probably just slammed on the brakes on the car. Many of you are probably going to the Internet right now to crap on me. (laughs) Some of you, if you have my number, are probably about to text me right now and ask me if I'm serious. Let me explain. I don't think he's a better player than Dak Prescott. I'm not going to poo-poo on Dak Prescott. I think Dak Prescott is a good football player. He's good. He's not great. He's good. But if you're telling me you have both of them drop, if they do a quarterback competition, I'm I'm taking Cooper Rush to outperform him in just quarterback stuff. Just throwing the ball, I think Cooper Rush probably does it better than Dak. Now, Dak brings a whole other set of skills that Cooper Rush can't touch. And for that reason, I don't think that Cooper Rush should be the starter over Dak when Dak is ready to go. But that was my first thought was, oh, he's a real quarterback. This is all he's done. He's got no other skills, (laughs) right? 
And then I started saying in the first two drives, the offense was moving. And I said, man, they look like they have a clear cut plan, a clear identity of what they're trying to do. They are playing a certain way. They're using the run. They're doing quick passes. They are playing to a game plan that they've created. It's there. You can see it. And then I realized, man, why didn't it look like that when Dak was there? And that's when it hit me. I said it out loud. And I started to tweet it, but then I held it because I wanted to hold it for the show. Um, but what I what I thought was, and what I said out loud was, they know that they have a backup quarterback in there, and so they are playing like they have a backup quarterback in there. And what I mean by that is, they weren't asking him to do anything more than they knew he was capable of doing. And that is the problem with the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. They ask him to do things and perform like an elite quarterback when he's not. They put so much on his plate and they give him so much responsibility and they expect so much from him as if he's an elite quarterback. They got rid of Amari Cooper because they felt like he wasn't worth the money. They didn't go out there and draft a receiver high in the draft. They didn't go out there and try to sign any like real high-quality receiver. They made no effort to improve in that way. Why? Because they believe that Dak Prescott is good enough to make the receivers around him better. He's not. And so the disconnect is with Dak Prescott, they are giving you an elite quarterback package but they don't have an elite quarterback if they would play with Dak Prescott and play to his strengths it would look more like it does with Cooper Rush where it's like okay we know this is what you do good so this is what we're going to ask you to do stay away from that other stuff and of course every every a couple plays a game you're going to have to just make a play you're going to have to step outside of what you're good at and you're going to have to make a play and you saw Cooper Rush do that and you saw Dak do that that's what 2016 was When Dak came in as a rookie, the reason why he performed so well is because they treated him like he's a rookie quarterback. They didn't ask him to do too much. And a couple times a game, he would make a play. The problem is, is since then, they've gotten into these blowout games where he's able to pick up some garbage stats in the second half of a game where they're down by three scores. So he's throwing the ball all over the place. The defense is playing a little prevent, keeping everything in front of him. He's able to rack up yards, and it really means nothing. But the Cowboys have this delusional take that, for whatever reason, they just think that Dak Prescott is the guy. He's elite. We can do a week. The whole playbook is open for him. Like, no, it's not. He has limitations. Very obvious limitations. So I think what needs to happen when they come back or when Dak Prescott comes back, I think they need to start saying, look, let's get back to doing what you do well. Forget the other stuff. We don't need the other stuff. Let's focus on what you do well. So I like, and I even said I tweeted it out during the game, it's not that I like what they're doing and I think they're going to have success with it but I like the intention of what they're doing I like the fact that they have a plan and they're going to execute that plan 
I like that they are trying to run the ball. They are committed to running the ball. They are committed to short passes. They are committed to getting the ball out quick. They understand their offensive line is not it's pretty banged up right now. It's not all that it's supposed to be. So let's not leave this backup quarterback back there in five-step drops. The guys running all deep. It's not going to work. He don't have the time. So let's not put him in that situation. But they put Dak in that situation because they feel like Dak can handle it because he's an elite quarterback. He's not. So I think the way that Keller Moore is calling the games now, I think the things they're trying to do now, I think they should adopt that, keep that when Dak comes back and just say, look, we think you're good. We think you're great. But let's just continue what we've been doing, man. Let's play to your strengths. It's that simple. Sometimes the simplest answer is is right in front of you. Sometimes the best answer is the simplest answer. I think that's how the saying goes. If not, that's how it goes today. <laughs> oh, man. So, like, I got predictions this week. Uh, You know, I got predictions. And look, let me, let me story, story time. Story time with, uh, sorry about that. My phone started going off. <laughs> story time with, 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 uh, with Uncle John here. Um, I, I was feeling good about my picks. And if you, if you follow me on uh, social media, you'll, you'll know that I didn't post the, um, my record for this week and my updated record for the year. And the reason for that is because I had, I had sent out a message to, uh, my brother and my best friend, uh, we're in a group chat, uh, about my picks. And I said, yeah, I better put some respect on my picks. And I was feeling good about myself. And I immediately got hit back from both of them trashing my picks. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, what's up? And then they came, and then my brother called me out and said, why don't you start picking against the spread and challenge yourself? And I said, oh, because, you know, I'm just picking straight up winners. And he said, well, there's not real money in picking a straight up winner. The money is in picking against the spread. And so I was, of course, hurt. Uh, my feelings were deeply hurt. Um <laughs> I was also offended because how dare you challenge me and my ability to be uh, perceptive about what's going on. Okay. Because look, I don't really pay attention to the spread because look, I'm not a gambler. I don't really gamble on games. Now, the reason, you know, not to serious you out, but I believe I have an addictive personality. And so I know that all these, um, you know, these DraftKings or whatever and say you'll place five dollars and you get X amount guaranteed to win. I know the minute I get my foot in that door, I am going to go all in. I'm putting the mortgage money up to bet on games. I'm going to get obsessed. I'm going to get like it's going to be bad for me. So I try to stay out of it. So for that reason, because I don't want to get addicted to gambling and have a gambling issue and throw my entire life away. Um I never really pay, I never really get into the gambling thing. So I wasn't really aware that the money is in picking against the spread. So I do believe that all of my picks never come down. I know that in reality, it's like if there's two teams playing, you pick one that's a 50-50 shot. I do understand that. But in reality, I'm not just picking 50-50. In my mind, I'm paying attention to so much more of what's going on in the game, around the game, this and that, that I'm making um, I'm making predictions based on much more factors. And I think I could bet using the spread. So that's what I'm going to do this week. So let's get into predictions. Um, and again, I don't really gamble. Uh, so if 
So first week, I don't know how it's going to (laughs) go. So I'm just going to tell you right now, if you do take my predictions and, and place these bets and put some of your money on it, please do not come back to me mad at me if it doesn't work out. Because I'm telling you my opinion. I'm giving you my advice. If you take it, that's on you, brother. I don't know. But look, college is 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 way too weird of a game. There's too many emotions. I don't think I'm going to go with the spread there. In the NFL games, or at least for a week or two, I'm going to start calling using the spread in those games. And then we'll transfer over to college as well. Let me get my let me dip my toes in the water. OK, and we'll see how it goes. So for this uh, if this doesn't work out for you this week, uh, go hit up my brother Logan. Uh, he's um, Sixers Break Room on Instagram. Go to, to the Sixers Break Room on Instagram. Hit him up. Flood his messages. Flood his comments. Get at him for this because he's the one who challenged me to do this. Okay? So that's what I'm doing. All right? So here's what we're going to do. <laughs> Uh, let me give you my NFL picks first, um, and we'll go from there. So in the NFL, uh, you got the Bills favored by five and a half over the Dolphins. Take the Bills. I got the Bills winning that game by more than five and a half. Uh, in my mind, I think the Bills are going to do to the Dolphins what um, the Ravens were doing to the Dolphins, except that they're going to finish the deal. That game is going to be it's going to be greater than five and a half. I take the Bills. They're gonna they're gonna win that one. They're gonna cover that spread. Uh, the Dolphins, honestly, right now they're riding high. Uh, Sean Payton came out this week and said that he um, apologized was was wrong about Tua. I think everyone's high on Tua right now. Wait till after this weekend and we'll see what happens. Um, the Lions are uh, a plus six um, for the Vic- against the Vikings. Take the Lions. I got the Lions winning that by more than six. They'll probably win by 7-10. to 10. I think low-key, first two games, I think Jared Goff's playing pretty good. And I think that running game is, is running really well. And I think that defense is solid. As much as I don't want to say it because he played for Michigan, I think Aiden Hutchinson's actually a legit player. So I think as the year goes on, I think that team is going to be way better than maybe we all expected. That team is pretty close. They're pretty good. And I think Jared Goff continues it this week, and I think they win by more than six. I think they cover. Uh, 49ers uh, favored by one and a half over the Broncos. Uh, Take that. I like the 49ers to cover that over the Broncos. I think they continue to struggle a little bit. And I think the 49ers with Garoppolo, look, I think they like him. That team really loves him. And I think with Trey Lance, it was still kind of like, all right, we'll we'll try to make it work for you. But I think they love Garoppolo, and I think they will die for that guy. So I think you're going to see a really good 49ers team against the Broncos. And unfortunately, I think the Broncos are still working through some stuff. So I like the 49ers to cover that one and a half. And then you got the Cowboys, a one-point underdog to the Giants. Take the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys win the game outright. Um, I think that... Uh, Saquon Barkley is going to have a day. I have no doubt about that. But uh, Danny Dimes, he's going to throw some dimes to the Cowboys. I think that he's, he'll turn the ball over a couple times. And I think, again, I think the offense is going to play safe. One point? Yeah, I like the Cowboys in that game. So take that. Did I do it right? <laughs> did I do it right? Those are my picks for the NFL. Let me know if I did it right or wrong. I'm sure. I'm sure my brother will hit me up and let me know. 
if I, if I if I did that right, if I use the right terminology. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. That's my time, y'all. Listen, I want to thank y'all for coming through. I appreciate y'all. And uh, I had some fun. I had some fun today, man. Again, like I said, this was my second time running through um, the show. I think I did pretty good. I don't think I forgot anything. I think I hit all the points I wanted to hit. Um, Yeah. Oh, I didn't even give you my college predictions. Uh, Predictions for college. Look, man, this one, there's going to be a theme for this week in college football for me. It's called Heart Overhead. Okay. Okay. all of these games that I'm picking, I'm using my heart and I'm going against my head. My head is telling me, hey, you're being an idiot. You're trying to be dramatic. You're trying to like have this, oh my God, like whatever thing, but you're an idiot. Don't do it. Just go with the smart play. I can't do it. <laughs> I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm going with my heart, y'all. So listen, this might be a bad week for you, boy. But. I'm picking Maryland to upset number four, Michigan. That's right. I don't buy into Michigan. I feel like we see this every year. Okay, they they come out, they play some some scrum bums, and they and they load up points. The offense looks unstoppable, and then they get in the Big Ten play, and they look kind of like Michigan always looks. I like Maryland. Maryland can score some points. They could put up some yards. I think they're going to put some pressure on Michigan. I think this is going to be like the first real test Michigan's had all year. I like Maryland to beat Michigan. Now, look, I understand the smart play is, is just pick Michigan. What are the chances of really losing? But I really do feel in my heart <laughs> that Maryland's going to win. I also have Wake Forest beating Clemson. I know, I know. Wake Forest is one of those teams. Offensively, they could put up points. They could put up yards. I love Sam Hartman. I think he's a tough kid. Look him up. Look at his story. He's been through so much, and he's still there, and he's still competing. I I got so much respect for that kid. I just think he's a gamer. I think that team loves him. I think offensively, they can compete with Clemson. Defense is where it's going to be real difficult. And then DJ on the other side for Clemson, their quarterback, DJ Ungalele. Uh, I think something like that. Y'all know who I'm talking about. He'll turn the ball over now. He'll throw some picks. He'll fumble the ball. I'm not sold on that guy. And so for that reason, I think Wake Forest comes out, plays well. I think they're inspired. I think they really want to get this win. And I just think it's going to be one of those weekends where this stuff happens. I got Wake Forest upset and Clemson. Um, I also have Florida beating Tennessee. I think Florida is a team who struggles at the quarterback position. But man, they got, they just, they have talent. And every once in a while, they could throw one of those games in there, like against Utah, where like they look solid. And Tennessee, I saw them against Pitt, and they struggled, and their quarterback could turn the ball over a bunch too. I like Florida to beat Tennessee. And of course, I'm taking Ohio State in the blackout to beat Wisconsin. And those are my picks. Uh, and that's my time. Um, so like I said, I'm going with my heart this weekend. I'm not, I'm ignoring my head. I'm ignoring the smart play. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. Those are my picks. And guess what? If I'm wrong, then, Hey, I went with my heart. Don't hold it against me. But if I'm right, I will be here next week to rub it in your face. (laughs) I'll see y'all next week.